Welcome to the Physician Associate Podcast. Hello, welcome to this episode of the Physician Associate Podcast. My name is James. I'm delighted today to be joined by Andrew Goddard, who is the president of the Royal College of Physicians. Welcome to the show, Andrew. I thought it was really important to get the RCP involved and to talk about how the RCP have been supporting the Faculty of Physician Associates and the profession over the years. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your history with the RCP and, and PAs? Yeah, I mean, I first came across the profession uh, when I was registrar of the college. So like many uh, colleges and other organisations, our, our, our leadership structures are rather arcane, uh, but basically the registrar is the person who's in charge of the membership, uh, as well as the relationship with other specialties and faculties. And when we were working with uh, the Association of PAs of the UK and thoughts about forming a faculty. I sort of got involved then uh, with the leadership of the profession uh, and was sort of uh, involved in sort of the shadow board, if you like, of the faculty when that was being established. If I'm honest, I hadn't really heard of physician associates before that point. I'm a jobbing gastroenterologist in Derby. And, uh, you know, paradoxically, uh, at that point, Derby was beginning to think about, you know, could we use other parts of the workforce, such as PAs or ACPs? Uh, and there was a talk even then of, you know, setting up a, a university course with the University of Derby. Um, so, so all those things sort of happened together. Uh, I was delighted to, to work with the, with the faculty as it was being established. And I've continued to work with them both as I finished being registrar. And I, I became president of the college back in 2018. Uh, so I describe myself now as the outgoing president because I've got another six months. Um, but, uh, you know, the profession has clearly gone from strength to strength. There are a few big things that still need to happen. Uh, and that then the profession will develop uh, even more, I suspect, over the next decade. Perfect. Can I ask, just for the sort of uninitiated, what is the purpose of a royal college? Why do they exist? What, what work do they do? We're a good example. So we were set up uh, in 1518 uh, by Henry VIII's physician, Thomas Lineker. Uh, and at that time, the standard of healthcare within the City of London was pretty poor. Uh, it was uh, lots of street quacks uh, and uh, vendors of uh, various medications. Uh, and both uh, Henry VIII, who, who actually and never really gets credit for it was a was a great proponent of public health uh, but in conversations with Thomas Lineker they felt they needed to do something to try and improve the standard of public health within London uh, and then that sort of morphed into the rest of England and, and beyond but the college's first job therefore was to improve health uh, via regulation effectively so uh, the the membership of the Royal College was set up in order to ensure that people met certain standards uh, and therefore the quality of patient care was protected and whilst the scale and the way we do that now has changed a bit over the five centuries it's still roughly what we do you know we say that our mission is all about ensuring the best health care uh, for the population and we do that through exams clearly for ensuring that healthcare professionals meet certain standards including communication but also through guidelines uh, and setting standards and audit and accreditation and lots of Things which some people might seem really boring, but actually really important for ensuring that healthcare is consistent uh, across uh, various different healthcare organisations. That then actually gives us license to stay to say stuff 
and to to do our other main aim apart from educating and improving which is influencing so we uh, are able to influence government and ministers uh, and other wider parts of the system including the gmc nice etc uh, but because we have that respected position uh, and that allows me for example yesterday i was interviewing the secretary of state sajid javid so that's what we do now each college is different there are lots of us because there's lots of different specialties and sometimes it's argued that because there are so many it's confusing both for government but also for the general public but essentially we're there to represent the patient even though we're a membership body for the profession we're there to represent the patient whereas the BMA for example are there to represent uh, the individual doctors uh, and members of the BMA they're the union um, and I always make that point because often when I'm talking to politicians they don't get that and they, they think we're all about protecting doctors rights uh, or protecting PA's rights through the FBA actually we're there to ensure that patient care is the best it can be with the GMC uh, we we will have regular conversations um, and I have regular meetings with Charlie Massey and Carrie McEwen. But uh, again, they are a regulatory body in their own right. They don't have to do anything that we say. But I think they realise that we have a good insight into what the professions are feeling uh, and therefore they will listen to what to learn the, the temperature of the ground. I think one of the advantages of bodies like colleges and faculty of PAs is that you know, the people who are involved in the leadership are still doing it, still doing the job, uh, working in NHS. I do a day and a half in Derby and one in five weekends. And therefore, you sort of, that gives you a, uh, not only does that give you credibility with members, but it also gives you insight such that when people who are involved in these national bodies who, who don't work uh, on the shop floor, you, you can give them additional insights. Now, working with government, uh, is a completely different ballgame. Uh, as you might imagine, government is uh, an ever-shifting set of sands and they, they keep things very close to their chest and, and they really, they, they hold all the power. However, you have to build relationships. Um, the one thing I've learned from my career in medical leadership, and I never thought I'd become a medical politician, but that's what I have become effectively, is that, you know, it's all about relationships. Now, that might mean that you have to have conversations and work with people you don't particularly like, or indeed, you don't like their policies. But if you want to achieve what you are there for, and we want to get the best health and healthcare for everyone, we have to do that, even if I'm talking to people I don't actually just sort of follow their own political beliefs. And actually, when you build those relationships, and you spend time with people, you find out what you have in common, and then you are able to, to see each other's point of view. And that is how we influence those. The pandemic was in some ways a watershed moment uh, for government, the NHS and other stakeholder bodies sort of seeing the value of colleges, in fact, because they realised that in order to get those on the shop floor engaged with it um, and, and able to, to deliver what they need to deliver, having those effective relationships was really important. And I have to therefore ensure that I build up the relationships as effectively as I can for either the college or the faculty. It's an interesting thought just coming to my head around uh, PAs that are often seen as sort of a disruptor into the workforce. Sometimes we're the new kids on the block. And I think a lot of PAs will feel that they are often the first physician associate that a patient has met or even a clinician has worked with. And we often feel like we have to be quite neutral and quite accommodating in our own opinions of just so we don't rock the boat too much. An interesting parallel. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah and, and I think the, the profession is a, a, a tough stage is when you're getting established uh, and particularly patients, you know, 
don't know what a PA is, and politicians. You know, I, I had to I had to really explain to Mr. Hancock what a PA was. Uh, I think Mr. Javid took a while to get to know what PAs were, but once they understood it, that was fine. Uh, and, and, and but I still speak to many doctors who will talk about physician assistants, and you know, really have a very poor understanding of how the profession works. Um, and and we just have to take time. We have to get through that learning period. But I think, and people will feel threatened by that. You know, that is one of the the biggest challenges I think the profession has is that there are still large parts of the medical profession who feel threatened by PAs. I'm very clear I don't think they should. Uh, and as I always say to people when they challenge me on it, I say, okay, well, uh, you can either work with a PA or you can do the job all on your own. Which would you rather? And the other thing I say is, say, well, it, it must be lovely to have the luxury of not needing additional hands and feet, but I will take all the hands and feet I can get and PA a pretty high quality hands and feet. So yes, please. I think people then start to get it. I've certainly had conversations with medical student bodies who feel threatened of their training. Uh, and I point out that, you know, a lot of the training is done uh, by fellow PAs, but also that a lot of uh, medical trainees get trained by experienced PAs as well. And also that PAs, uh, because they are additional hands and feet, uh, free up educational time and actually improve the educational experience. And you talk to, to almost all doctors that work with PAs, they will say that. But medical students don't, they, 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 you know, they, 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 because they haven't worked in that environment, they haven't yet had the opportunity to see it. So they, they naturally feel threatened. And the other group that I've had a lot of pushback about uh, PAs from is, is retired consultants, interestingly. And again, I think that's because they don't have any experience of it. And there are some very vocal retired people around. So, so I see my role as one of advocacy for the profession, trying to explain uh, how PAs do and can work effectively. And once those conversations had, and provided you've got that relationship that I talked about, yeah, you make progress. Absolutely. I'm noticing that having been qualified for a few years now, once there's one PA in the hospital and the consultants see how well it works, it kind of ripples out across to other departments and the consultants talk yeah. to their mates in other departments and it, it grows and the word spread. Why is it the Royal College of Physicians that decided to form the Faculty of PAs? There are obviously lots of other Royal Colleges, Royal College of GPs, Royal College of Surgeons, Psych, Emergency Medicine. There's all sorts, isn't there? What was yeah. it particularly about um, the Royal College of Physicians, you think, that meant that PAs aligned with them? So I think that it was partly happenstance, it but it was a lot to do with design. So when we saw that the profession was beginning to to grow and get momentum, we felt that uh, they were going to be a critical part of the the multidisciplinary team moving forward uh, and that they, as a profession, were going to have a really important part to play in the care of our patients. We also saw that actually setting up a new professional body is uh, a high-risk business uh, and you need lots of support. And we had a lot of those skills when it comes to writing uh, standing orders uh, and statutes and, and, and the like. When I was registrar, that's what, what I did, the boring governance stuff, um, and that we could, we could bring that to the party. So the, the idea was really to, to help sort of support the development of the profession um, the reward on our side was that, you know, it meant that we, we could ensure that there were lots of PAs to be used in medicine because we think we need lots of additional hands and feet. And so, so there was a sort of a symbiotic relationship between the two. And I don't think that there, were, that there was such enthusiasm from other colleges at that time. I think now, you know, that's different and that many other colleges do see 
the 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 advantage that PAs bring to medicine and the NHS uh, and want a bit of that pie. Thank you very much, and that's fine because that's good because uh, you know I, I think it's really important, particularly in primary care, that we use PAs across all parts of uh, the NHS. And I think as time develops, I mean, and once you become regulated, the relationship between us and the profession, I think, will be different because, you know, clearly at the moment, the faculty sits within the Royal College of Physicians um, and the, the managed voluntary register is a reason why many people are <laughs> uh, part of that faculty. Once they are regulated by the GMC, that connection or that need to be connected will be lost. And so I think that's, that's then uh, that the, the faculty really will have to ensure that it represents the members and provides education and other things um, well beyond the monthly, managed voluntary register um, and at a cost that is, is seen as uh, good value for money. Um, and I therefore think that you may then see that uh, other colleges sort of set up PA uh, sort of groups within themselves but we're still a way off that um thank you that's that's really interesting to hear i think establishment of the faculty under the rcp umbrella was a real game changer in terms of respect for the profession how it was seen externally and how it's developed over the last sort of five or six years and it? it's been really beneficial to the profession and i think when gmc regulation comes in that'll be the next milestone yeah. the next shot in the arm for the profession some Royal Colleges like the RCP have been very proactive, PA friendly and forward thinking. And it's my own opinion, um, but perhaps some other Royal Colleges are slower on the uptake um, or not interested in establishing things with physician associates. When large parts of the PA workforce work in primary care, for example, or PAs who are in the Royal College of Physicians but actually have a surgical based job, do you think things could or will get better for PAs and in, in other specialties that aren't in the medical physician bracket? Yeah, yeah, yes, I do think things will get better. Uh, it comes back a bit to uh, fear of the unknown and people not really understanding what PAs do and what their role is going to be and how that's going to fit in. Uh, with all things, when you're making change, you'll find there's a significant number of people who will be fully on board help it and facilitate it there'll be some that sit on the fence uh, and will come online pretty quickly uh, let's see. and then there'll be some refuseniks uh, and generally they either they either come on board later or they die um, and uh, I, th I think that once the profession's you know really well established uh, th this won't be an issue um, but you're right I mean you, you think of uh, some of the you know, Neurosurgery PAs in PA, in George's, for example, uh, I can remember. You know, they were an early surgical uh, department adopter, uh, and they really saw the saw the value of it. Um, I think that you know, part of it is exposure uh, and understanding, uh, and also once there are more people in a particular set of specialties, there are more PA advocates, uh, and you you know you, 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 there'll be a push from those PAs to say, well, why aren't you representing us? You know, um, we work in your specialty, you need to represent us better, which I think, you know, so, so there's a push me pull you as well. I think for the faculty and for the officers of the faculty, there are lots of advantages as being under the college. Uh, you've got peer support from people who are in similar roles uh, in uh, another um, professional body uh, that can help. Uh, you then can also share the resources of that, and that's particularly true with comms. 
um, but also with exams. You know, and we've really helped support and develop the the PA exam uh, that it is now run within uh, our building, the spine, uh, and therefore you get mates rates uh, rather than, and we, and we run it at cost rather than that we would if we were hiring it out to another college or body. Um, so there are all sorts of um, uh, tangible uh, benefits. But I think that, uh, as, as, as you have alluded to, that actually there is a bit of reflected benefit from being under the RCP umbrella because of our our sort of how we are viewed. I'm really pleased um, to be, you know, in that relationship with the faculty. I've, it's been an honour, I think, to be part of the, the growth of the profession. One of the debates going on on social media every few months, it will pop up and amongst my PA colleagues will be around um, post-qualification exams or titles or uh, training pathways for PAs and specialties. Do you have any thoughts on that? Would that be the Royal Colleges that set exams? Would it be entrance onto the current existing exams for doctors? Would it be a bespoke PA exams? Well, as things have, ha- as things are, uh, we've clearly got the PA national exam and uh, the faculty runs that. Uh, under our, our auspices um, and I think we'll continue to do so for the foreseeable future or um, I think that you know, we know that having a benchmark exam like that is is works for patient care and there's lots of evidence for other regulated professions that it actually works very well so I, I think uh, it, it would be very hard to get rid of that now what the future of resitting the national exam every six years is i think will need thought and i think probably will change not what it will look like will change but because you know yeah many pas do stay within a particular specialty that may not be medicine um for uh one six-year period and then want to stay for the next six-year period um uh, whilst that there are advantages in keeping a generalist set of knowledge and skills through through the the exam um is that a sustainable model in the long run and i don't know what you wouldn't want is somebody you know who who, who is actually quite a, a niche subspecialty as a pa does a fantastic job um but then fails the the exam at year six and then you know has to take time out to reset and i think we need to be quite careful of that uh, you know what it will look like and what a what assessment will look like moving forward for all professions is a is a subject of constant debate and COVID shook that up a bit. So we went from pen and paper exams to, to online exams. But I think both for PAs and for physicians um, that actually doing OSCE type exams where you have to be in a room with people because communication skills are so much an important part of our job, but also the ability to detect clinical signs and interpret them is absolutely critical to what we do. Um, I think that needs to stay. Uh, And I've always pushed very hard uh, over the past couple of years when people have said, well, you know, you need to change your exam so they're all online. And I say, well, no, because I need to know that the the individual in front of me can listen to a chest and can tell me that that person's got heart failure. Um, And you can't do that over uh, a Zoom call.
So I, I think that will stay, but I, I think you're right. I think the, 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 the six-year uh, reaccreditation process will, will probably change with time uh, and what that will look like. I think we, we will wait and see. Uh, I, as, as the GMC take over regulation, I think they're keen that the, the pain uh, continues. Uh, pain as in yeah. Physician Associate National Examination. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah, will become so known as the para, wouldn't it? PA regulation assessment or something, wouldn't it? Yes, which is almost as clumsy. Um, there, there'll, be a, <laughs> there'll be a name for it. Uh, yeah, I, I, but, but they will have an important view about what happens moving forwards. Uh, we want regulation as a whole for all professions and not just medicine or physician associates to become simplified. However, the bottom line is that the regulator is responsible for protecting the safety of patients uh, and therefore they've got to be pretty sure that what's in place does that. that makes sense. In terms of the future of the PA profession and how things might change, what do you think will be the next five, ten years of development of PAs? Is it increasing numbers of PAs? Is it PAs then taking clinical leadership in new roles? Do you yeah, foresee, <laughs> do you yeah, foresee I, I, a I, Royal College of Physician Associates in down the line? Uh, yeah, potentially. Uh, I think that's a long way off. Uh, the Privy Council, uh, who oversee the, the creation of Royal Colleges, are generally against any new Royal Colleges being set up. So I think there's a, there's a way to go with that. Um, but I, I think you're right. Clearly, there, as more people come through training, the pressure is going to grow. But 800 or so a year um so uh, that will you'll get a bigger and bigger body of pas which is fantastic i do think that there will need to be some thought to career progression uh and you know one of the the initial ideas uh, around physician associate was, was because it was a fairly horizontal career structure uh, that was a good thing and, and and lots of consistency but i think there'll be many people within uh the profession who will want to do uh, other stuff and, and and move in a direction. You're right. Leadership roles uh, are part of that. You know, why shouldn't we have the idea that one day a chief executive of a hospital should be uh, a PA by training? That you know, to me, that doesn't seem uh, bizarre in any way, shape, or form. But I think that there will then have to be thoughts about what does that look like. I, the other thought that people talk, and it's quite a contentious one, is you know, will there be a conversion course for PAs to to become doctors? Um, I you know, I don't think that's uh, uh, too much of a pie in the sky. I think something like that might exist. Um, given the amount of time PAs would have already put into their training um, and uh, how much service they would have given to the NHS by that point, uh, I, I, I don't think that's that's too hard a task to create something that, that, that will work. So I think with any new profession, it takes a bit of time to develop and find its feet. Um, and there needs to be whatever you do in life, you do need to have some form of career progression. Some people are quite happy with where they are, and we can see that within medicine. If you've got, you know, uh, SAS doctors, many of them choose to become SAS doctors because it suits their their life. They they stay. They don't want to be a consultant. They don't want the managerial and the bureaucratic pains that go with being a consultant, and they're very happy in those roles. Uh, and many PAs will be the same. However, I'm sure there'll also be PAs who are actually, no, I want to do a bit more now. 
how can I take you to the next step? Um, I have no doubt that uh, the, the the faculty will will change because of regulation and because as, as as the profession grows over time. Um, but it was the right thing to do uh, as the profession was developing. Um, and I know I know that you know not everybody feels that way, um, but I'm comfortable with that. Fab, thank you. Thanks so much for talking to me about the Royal Colleges and helping me understand a little bit more about how it fits in with the FPA. If anybody's been listening to this episode, it might have sparked off some ideas or some questions um, about physician associates and about the Royal Colleges. Where would be a good place for them to go to find out more? So I guess the, the, the first stage is to, is to go via the faculty. Um, and that, uh, you know, the, the, the website gives uh, a reasonable amount of information um but you know liaising through the faculty to sort of drill down on any specific issues would, would probably be the right first protocol perfect thank you so much for joining me no worries thank you uh it's been a very enjoyable chat and thanks to you for listening as well i hope you found that a really interesting and useful episode to find out a bit more about the royal college of physicians I'm always um, open to ideas for future episodes of the Physician Associate Podcast. So if you've got any ideas and you'd like to get in touch, please find me on social media at PA Podcast UK. And I hope you'll join me again for the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Physician Associate Podcast.